Good morning. Man, so glad that you are here this morning. Welcome to those that are joining us online and our Okatee campus. Let's meet at River Ridge Academy. So glad that you would join us this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. So we're kicking off this Christmas series called Christmas Playlist. And I bet that uh, how many of you have started listening to Christmas music already and you've got your playlist built and you've got your favorite songs and all of those types of things. I know that uh, I know my family has that going on and I'm sure that many of you, most of you probably do. Some of you have been listening to Christmas music for well over a month now. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand real quick so we can all just go, oh my goodness, it's more than I thought. So um, it's great, but it's, it, it is really one of the, the most amazing times of year and, and there's so much that's happening of course, we had the Christmas parade in Old Town yesterday, and I just want to say thank you to just all of our amazing volunteers for a moment. Uh, so uh, every year during the Christmas parade, we run out of stuff to hand out. And so I went into this year, and I started talking about packing 10,000 bags of candy and invites. And you want to know that we have the most amazing volunteers, and they packed 10 thousand bags and they handed out nine thousand of them yesterday that's pretty impressive so we got about a thousand bags of candy so if you need a snack in a little bit go ahead and find out where those are and grab one that'd be great so uh but it really is it's it's this great time of year there's decorations there's lights there's all this stuff that's happening all around us and if you're like my family, we enjoy going out and doing those things. We went driving around looking for some Christmas lights the other night and just had a great time. But really, it's not just those things. What we really want to focus in on is, of course, the reason. Like, why is it that we celebrate this time of year? And as a follower of Jesus, why is it so significant? So what we're doing is, in, in our sermon series, we're just taking some of our favorite songs, uh, and, and that's sort of the inspiration behind it, but what we're really going to look at is, what are the scriptures that that song is singing about? And so our first, our first song is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And so Isaiah chapter 7 is actually where you find just the promise of Emmanuel. In Isaiah chapter 7, it's this, this history, right? It's a little, you're going to get a little bit of a history lesson this morning. If you're not really up on some of the Old Testament, I'm going to share just a little bit with you, and hopefully you're just going to gravitate towards what this means, even in its context, but even the bigger picture of what it means for us. Because here's something that, that I want you to think about as we go through this. And it has to do, if you're, a, if you're a fill in the blank person, man, I got a gift for you today. There are so many blanks in these notes. There's even a pretty good chance I'm going to forget some of them. So if I do, there, there's a little fill in the blank sheet in the back. It's our discipleship guide. It's got all the blanks in it. You can grab that or you can just get onto our app or website and they're there as well. But th this is sort of where we started. It says this, that the right view of God puts everything in proper perspective. In fact, one of the ways you could say it, if you want to have a little, a little catchier phrase, it could say that the proper view of God or the proper perspective of God puts everything in proper perspective. 
right? And so as you think about that, I would imagine this morning that there are, there are some here and you're struggling to have that proper perspective of God and, and who he is, what he's able to do and accomplish versus the perspective of all the things that are happening around you. And so when, I, when, I, when you think about the things that are happening around you, just think about just your, your circumstances. And maybe you're in, in, a, in a pretty good season right now, so maybe think about other times in your life where things haven't been exactly the way that you wanted them to be. And when you're in those moments, right, there, there can be a little bit of a panic in those moments, a little bit of a panic because of those things aren't in their proper perspective. But a proper perspective of God or a proper view of God is going to help put all of those things, your job, your bank account, your retirement, right? Your, your gas bill is where we're dealing with inflation a little bit still. Like All of those things, right, seem bigger than they are. And so if you have a proper view of God, you can begin to see them in a proper perspective. Well, that's actually what's happened in Isaiah chapter 7. So in Isaiah chapter 7, there's this guy, and his name is Ahaz, right? And I'm going to read through a couple of names this morning, and, and I just remind you, when I read through these, I, don't, I probably don't say them correctly, so I don't know really who would say them correctly, but if, if you just are like me and you're struggling, just say it and just forget it. Like, you just got to keep rolling with it. But that's what's happening in Isaiah chapter 7, is we're introduced to this guy named King Ahaz. So let's just roll through this for a moment, a couple of verses just to introduce what's happening. So this is how it starts. When Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, which by the way, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 6, he starts out with in the year that King Uzziah died. Okay, so that just gives you a little bit of perspective there. He was king of Judah, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. So Jerusalem's in Judah, right? And that's where uh, Ahaz is king. And Ahaz was actually a pretty young king at that time, by the way. So he became king when he was 20 years old and he reigned for 16 years. Okay, so that that's kind of gives you a little bit of perspective. And for, for those of you who are a little more seasoned in life, you're looking to go, oh, he's just that young guy, just, just that young guy. He doesn't know anything, right? So um, he, he, here he is, he's king, and he's, he's being threatened by these other kings, and the story will unfold in a minute. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in the storm. Now, again, history lesson real quick, because sometimes you read the Old Testament and we talk about the nation of Israel. One of the things that we forget is that the nation of Israel kind of went through what would be considered, it wasn't really a civil war, but they went through a split and there became the nation of Israel in the nation of Judah. And it's out of the nation and tribe of Judah that Jesus would come right? The nation of Israel in the Old Testament, by the way, as they would become their own nation, there were no kings that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So the nation of Judah occasionally had a king that would do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now here's something you need to really just consider in this moment, right? 
and it's, it's the Old Testament promise. The Old Testament promise has been to the nation of Israel, to God's people, whether they're the, Israel, the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah, the promise is to God's people. And the promise to God's people is always that God was going to be on their side. No matter what would happen, God would be on their side. And honestly, in the Old Testament, it was pretty much the promise was, if you do what I tell you to do, then God will do this. And what we find is that they never did what they were supposed to do. They just didn't do it. I don't know if you know people like that, but I would imagine there's enough of us in the room that there are people that are like that. Some of us are sitting here. We just don't do what we're supposed to do. But the promise was really simple. If they would do it, like God, God would fight their battles. I mean, how many times in the Old Testament do you read through and God just shows up and fights a battle that the Israelites should have never won? They should have never even been in contention in the battle. And here's God showing up and fighting on behalf of his people. And it happens over and over and over again. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that the wrong view of God makes problems seem bigger than they really are. The wrong view of God makes problems seem bigger than they really are. And so here's King Ahaz, and he hears of Israel, the nation of Israel at that moment, making an alliance with the nation of Syria, and they feel like, he feels like, here, here's going to be a major problem for me. In fact, at the end of verse 1, though, what did you see he says, right? However, they were unable to carry out their plan. But it didn't matter. Even though they were unable to carry out their plan, the problem with Ahaz is that he's got this improper perspective of who God is, and it gives him an improper perspective of the things that are going on around him. And so he thinks that these problems are bigger than they really are. How many of you are kind of like that this morning? We, we would call it, and they're going to use the phrase in just a moment, we would call it worrying. That's how, that's how we would call it today. So I don't know if you're somebody who, who worries a lot. I know that I have a tendency to be like that. And sometimes I make things bigger. I mean, have you ever had a problem going on in your life and you, you built it up in your mind to be something, just this gigantic problem, and then when you go into face it, you're like, oh, that wasn't really all that bad. I know that I have. I build this up in my mind to be bigger than it really is. And that's exactly what's happening with King Ahaz. He's building this up to be bigger than it really is. Because here's the thing that you got to realize, and this is where it translates to the New Testament, is, man, when, when God is for you, when God is for you, there's nothing that can stand against you. Nothing at all. And it doesn't matter. It can be your job. It can be your boss. It can be your pocketbook. I mean, whatever those things that seem so big right now, man, if God is in it, don't make those things to be bigger than they really are. Let's pick this up in verse 3 for a moment, okay? So um, he goes on in this. I just got to see how far I'm supposed to go. 3 through 9. He says, then the Lord said to Isaiah, take your son, Shear Jashub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. 
You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed, okay? So one of the reasons that he would be standing in that particular spot is that one of the ways that somebody could attack Judah at that point is going to be through their water system. And so he's sort of going to go to this place and he's going to inspect it and pay attention to what's going on with it, right? So Isaiah is supposed to take his son and go and talk to him. Tell him, and here it is, this, is, this might be the word for you this morning. Tell him to stop worrying. Some of you, you needed just to show up this morning to hear that. You needed just to be told that from Isaiah, from the Lord. Stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those who, those two, listen to how he describes them, those two burned out embers King Rezin of Syria and Pekah son of Ramalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves, and then we will install the son of Tabal, Tabal as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. And that's what some of you need to hear this morning, too. Like, you need to hear what God has to say to you in the midst of the circumstances that you're going through. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. If you know Old Testament history, you know around 722 B.C., that actually takes place. Samaria is no stronger than its king Pekah, son of Ramalia. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Get that? Because see, this is the time of year, right? This is the time of year. You're going to come through. You're going to come through Christmas. And you're going to get to the first of the year and you might make New Year's resolutions and these things that I want to do. But listen, here's something that you can really make happen right now is that you can allow your faith to become stronger in these moments as you're reminded of this time of year and what it really means. And so your faith, like this can become the building block for what's to come over the, the next 12 months, the next 13 months. Like there's this building block that can take place of all of these things that are going to happen in your life, but your faith can be strong, right, if you will listen to what God is saying to you in these moments. But see, what happens is we all start to look at our circumstances. We have God's promises, right, but we have a tendency to ignore his promises and look at our circumstances and they become bigger than they really are. In fact, this is what, this is what really happens for King Ahaz, ready? So just fill in the blanks right now. King Ahaz needed to decide if he was going to trust in God or human nations, which by the way, by the way, that's actually the entire story of the Old Testament. 
The entire story of the Old Testament, when you really dig in, it's like, hey, if you can get this vision, this picture of who God is, and get to that place of trusting, trusting in him versus the the other nations that might be around you, if you can get a picture of his promises, and can you trust his promises versus the other things that are going to happen around you? That's what King Ahaz needed to decide in this moment. Here's the word from the Lord, right? Here's what God said. God told him, one, I can't build your faith for you. You have to do that on your own, right? He's borne testimony. The the Lord has borne testimony throughout the scriptures. He has shown himself and proven himself to be faithful throughout history, and that should be building up his faith, but here he is. Is, he's going to, is he going to look at what these nations are going to do, or is he going to have this bigger view of who God is and say, I want to trust in who God is in his word. That's where I want to trust, but here's what happens actually. So King Ahaz has the wrong view of God. And the wrong view of God, if you're filling the blank, is that it makes you turn to the wrong place for help and comfort. So you know what King Ahaz did? He could have just listened to what God said. And he could have said, I'm going to lean into that. Instead, in 2 Kings chapter 16, if you want to just jot that address down, we're not going to turn there. What, what he does is he could have just turned to the Lord and said, okay, God, you deal with this. But instead, what he did was he made an alliance with the king of Assyria. And he goes to the king of Assyria and he says, I am your servant. Basically, help me, because these other two kings who are burned out embers, according to what God has said about them, meaning they have no power, But I'm so fearful of them that I'm going to turn and make an alliance with someone that I should not make an alliance with. Because why? Because the wrong view of God makes you turn to the wrong place for help and comfort. And and I would imagine that if we were to start asking people in the room, you would find more and more people have that as part of their story than they would like to admit. Like more and more people have that thing, like I turn to this instead of God, right? That's why, that's why worrying becomes such a big part of our life. Because in our worries, right, we're making things bigger than they really are. But as we worry, we also turn to other things, right, for help and comfort. And King Ahaz turned to another king wanting help in order to combat those that wanted to take over and place somebody else as king, right, in Judah. God had already spoken. God had already said, like, here's here's the thing that's going to happen. And so here's something. I put this out there just as a, a thought for me. It's like, here's the thing that we all need to decide, or really, let's just say it better, like that we all need to declare in our life. And it's this, that God, the Holy One, is great enough and transcendent enough, and He can be trusted like like make that decision in your life and honestly like as you make that decision as things come up in your life 
that are coming against you and even coming against your faith, like that's when you make the declaration to say, no, 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 my God is great enough and transcendent enough and he can be trusted. Now the word transcendent, not necessarily a word that we use, but consider it like this. Our God being transcendent is mean that he is in a whole nother realm. He is in a whole nother realm. Like God's not, God's not one of us, right? God is, he is wholly other, so to speak. And he is beyond what, like, human, even complete comprehension, human understanding. Like, you know, we've talked about some of the prayers of Paul in the last sermon series, and some of those prayers is helping us understand, like, hey, you're never going to fully grasp who he is. So that means he's transcendent. And that also, by the way, means that he is way bigger than any problem that you will ever encounter in your life. And so your decision in your life leads to your declaration to say, he's transcendent and he can be trusted. So you walk up to your problem and you tell your problem that your God is transcendent and he can be trusted. Like that becomes, that becomes what you're doing when you are encountering trials of various kinds, as James would say. Is you're declaring the greatness of your God over your problems. But guess what? King Ahaz hasn't learned his lesson. So pick up with me in verse, in verse 10. We're going to go through the rest of this real quick, Okay. And this is where you begin to see, you, you see the first part of this prophecy, right? So I want you to think of it in terms of, I want you to think short term and long term. Short view, long view, okay? And that's what we're going to go and let you see this. Later, the Lord sent his, this message to King Ahaz. Ask, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Now remember, um, Isaiah, Isaiah is God's mouthpiece, so Old Testament, God would especially come upon these prophets, and when they spoke, it was a word from the Lord. It's, it's different than New Testament, right? New Testament, like, it's, like I'm, I'm not a prophet, okay? Like, I didn't go to, my, to the back room, and like, I heard this word from the Lord, and I'm telling you the word from the Lord, because here's the deal. The word from the Lord for us is right in here, okay? I'm just, just letting you know that, okay? So, so Isaiah, though, it's different. Old Testament is he's got the, the presence of God in him, right, in this moment. And he's prophesying, so he's speaking. He's God's mouthpiece to King Ahaz. And he's, he gives him this invitation. He says, hey, listen, ask the Lord, verse 11, for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Like, basically what he's getting at is, Listen, if, I want you to have the view of God that would allow you to move in faith, right? To do what I am telling you to do. So ask me, basically ask me anything to prove myself. And he refuses to do it. And King refused, verse 12. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, listen. Tell, listen well. Your royal family of David, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? <laughs> There's a lot of groans right there, by the way. I, I don't know if that's because you've been testing his patience. 
You know, it's like, like as, as a parent, you feel like your kids do that all the time for you, right? Like, are we those types of kids when it comes to our Heavenly Father? And I would imagine that a lot of times we are. So here, here's what happens. He says, all right then, verse 14. You're not going to ask for a sign, so I'm going to give you one. Which, by the way, I think that's grace. I think it's just grace. Like, if, I'm, giving you, I'm, I'm giving you the invitation to just make the ask. And he's like, I don't want to. So God says, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Remember, this is, this is Isaiah, and here's, this is short-term, long-term. I want you to think of it this way. All right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. Now, I said short-term, long-term. This is a short-term prophecy that leads to a, think of the big picture, leads to a long-term promise. And here's what I mean by that. We, didn't, we don't necessarily know this when we're reading it. We kind of read that and we, we immediately just think of Jesus. But what they, what they believe is actually taking place in this moment, the short term, is that Isaiah is actually pointing to this, this his wife, the virgin shall be with child, right? Because the short term is that within the next two years, the kings that Ahaz is so afraid of will no longer be around. That's the short term, short term. So he's talking, and that's basically what happens. Isaiah, if you keep reading Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, that's exactly what you encounter is that Isaiah has another son, and within the time frame that he's talking about, the kings that Ahaz is so afraid of are nowhere around. They're gone. That's the short term. But see, here's the thing. The wrong view of God trades short term and long term for immediate We're, we're an immediate people, aren't we? I mean, some of you are Christmas shopping right now on your phone. And it's going to be delivered. It's no longer two days. It's going to be like three or four, but you're still going to get it this week. We're, we're an immediate people. We want immediate results. We think of something, we want to immediately be able to take care of it. And what Ahaz does in this moment, I told you, he forms an alliance with the king of Assyria. And with that king, he's looking for immediate help instead of even the short term of within two years is what Isaiah said. Within two years, these kings will be nothing. Wait two years and see what God will. And, and he was even invited to ask for a sign. Now, now the long term, the long term is that God is pointing in that moment towards the coming of Jesus. And by the way, this is, I mean, 750 years prior to the birth of Christ that he speaks of the long-term promise. Short-term prophecy, Isaiah is going to have a son. Long-term promise is Jesus is going to come into this world and that changes everything. 
Think of it this way. Throughout history, God has been making moves to move people to faith. You start talking to enough people, especially those I I find that have come to faith in Christ as adults and they're looking back on their life and they can see God's hand all throughout their life. And all throughout history, right? All throughout history, you see that God is making moves. You go back and read the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's making moves. And what he wants is his people who call on his name to take him at his word. And they just never do. But all along the way, he's making moves. He parts the Red Sea. He wins battles that they should have never won. He brings people into leadership that who should have never been in leadership, right? Like he did it all throughout history. He's making moves to try to move people to faith. And that's one of the things you realize is now you've got to make the move. You've got to take a step and say, I've got to to own this part of it. God can't make you have faith in him. He's inviting you. He's proven himself. He's shown himself to be faithful throughout generations. And he's going, come on. Will you believe me? Will you take me at my word? Will you trust my promises? And how many of us spend more time worrying about the problems around us? How many of us spend more time trying to figure out a solution for ourselves instead of trusting the God of the Scriptures to be faithful to His promises? As you look at the promise in verse 14, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Fast forward real quick with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Now Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he is writing to a Jewish audience. So he, he is writing, in some ways, if I can say it like this, he's writing to try to convince the Jewish people that Jesus is the King of the Jews. And so he gets to this place in Matthew at the very beginning, so he's walking through that genealogy. We're not going to read that. You can read that on your own. But verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 says this, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Ready? Ready? All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Boy, that's different than what Ahaz did in Isaiah 7, isn't it? Ahaz hears from Isaiah. And he just, he really just ignores. He ignores the sign. He ignores what Isaiah had said, what God had spoken. He just ignores it. But here's Joseph. And he follows through on everything that the angel had said. Because here's the thing that you've got to realize as we, as we do move into this time of year, right? In Christ, God made the move to be with us. And that makes all the difference. It's a game changer, really. It's actually, a, in some of the stuff that I've been reading, there's, there's a... Um, there's a word. So several years ago, I, I, I made this word up, so to speak. My kids actually still remember this. But I made this word up, and it was called Jesusness. And really what it was, actually Jason preached on this a couple of weeks ago. He just didn't use my word. Uh, but he's talking about like in that prayer that Paul was praying, he was talking about like what's the end result? Well, the end, end, end result would be that, that we are putting Jesus on display. What that just means is like there's this Jesusness that flows through you into the lives of people around you. So there's this word that, that I was reading as I was reading this, and the word is, is, is here it is, ready? The word is withness. Withness. There, there's, a, there's a withness with you. And the withness is that God is with us. Old Testament, God would come and go. Old Testament, God would be upon a prophet speaking a word from the Lord. Old Testament is God would be in the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. Like that's Old Testament. New Testament is there's a withness now with us. God is with us in our life all the time. He doesn't come and go. He has, he has taken up residence. He has built his tabernacle no longer in the center of the camp. He has built the tabernacle in your heart and he has taken up residence there. There's a withness in your life. And that withness gives you power that withness gives you um, access to the heavenly father like there's a withness every day of your life you wake up tomorrow there's a withness with you that you didn't have apart from jesus so now as you walk out into this world and here's just this picture right because it's been sitting up on the screen for a little bit our witness should reflect his withness our witness now 
And I, don't, I, I know witness, sometimes we think of like, well, you're just going to go and you're going to knock on somebody's door and, you know, you're going to ask them, you know, if they were to die today, do they know for sure that they would go to heaven? And like, that's what we think of as a witness. Here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of every area of your life bearing testimony to the truth that is within you. Like as you are walking into your problems and you are walking into your job and you are facing whatever it is that you are facing tomorrow morning when you wake up, you are facing it with witness. That he is with you. He has promised that he would be with you, that he would not abandon you, that he would not forsake you. There's a witness in your life that changes everything about you. It changes everything about you. And so your witness now, right, everything that you do, your life, and the way that you, the way that you interact with people, the way that, I don't know if you're like this, but are you somebody that has a tendency to have a little bit of a short fuse? Well, the witness of his witness is that your short fuse gets a little bit longer. Are you somebody that does have a tendency to worry a whole lot in your life and you make a mountain out of a molehill, whatever that means? And you're losing sleep at night because you're worrying about whatever may be going on with you in your life. Well, guess what? The witness of his witness is that you worry less because you are trusting more. Are you somebody that, that isn't real good about managing your finances and you find yourself always in trouble? Well, the witness of your witness is that you are becoming a better steward, right, of what God has given you. Uh, your neighborhood that you live in, right, the witness of the witness is that you are for your neighbors and you're walking over to them and engaging them and talking to them and, yes, maybe even getting to the place of witnessing to them because the witness of his witness is that you are, right? You are neighborly and you are friendly. And when you show up to your job and you don't really want to go to work tomorrow, I mean, who does really want to get up and go to work tomorrow? But you get up and you go to work tomorrow and you work at your job to the absolute best of your ability because you aren't working for your boss, you're working for the Lord and the witness of his witness is that there is something so remarkably different about you that everybody's beginning to take notice because of the witness of his witness in your life. That's, that's Emmanuel. That's Emmanuel. God with us. witness of your life now bears testimony and people are looking at you and they're going how in the world are you able and you're like it's his witness they're like what in the world are you talking about have you heard of Emmanuel this isn't just some pie in the sky thinking this isn't just some merry and bright this isn't about Christmas lights and Christmas trees this is about Emmanuel 
forever. And it's a great reminder and it's a great building block during this time of year to just be reminded of. Because it will, I promise you this, like it will make all the difference in your life as you move forward and you lean into his promises and you begin to stand on them in your life. Hey, would you stand with me? I just love to pray over us for a moment. And I, I don't know where you're at in life. I know this. I, I know scripture says like God's not going to make you right have faith. But he's inviting you to place your faith and trust in him. And maybe you've never done that in your life. And man, this would be a great time of year for you to make that decision to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I don't have everything figured out. But, but I'm going to step into this moment of choosing to believe in Jesus. And if you'd like to do that today, I just want to invite you. I'll be around at the end of the service. If you're online, you can make a comment. Ben would love the chance to chat with you. If you're at River Ridge this morning and Matt's around, you can just talk to him as well. But don't let this season go by without taking that first step, if you've never taken the first step, to say, today I choose to believe in Jesus. Because that's the first step to the witness that we're talking about and the promises that come from Emmanuel, God with us. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, I thank you for just the promises that we have I pray, I pray for us as a people. God, I look at the Old Testament and I think, man, they really messed up. And then I look at my life and I go, I really messed up. So I thank you, God, for being patient. God, I thank you that, that like you went to, you went to the extreme to show up here in Christ to say, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you nor abandon you. I'm with you. I'm with you. The trials are going to come, but I'm with you. The peaks and the valleys are going to come, but I'm with you. Your presence, God, in our life has made all of the difference. And I pray that, I pray that the witness of our life would reflect, God, your witness. That's a part of our life. I know there's folks in the room, God, that are struggling. I pray for them. I pray that their faith would grow just stronger today because of your promises. It's easy to look at our past. It's easy to look at some of our mistakes and feel like those things define us. But God, we're looking at you going, God, you're bigger than all of our past mistakes. You're bigger than our biggest failure. You're more gracious than our biggest failure. God, we thank you for that. Thank you that in, in, in this moment in King Ahaz's life, when he wouldn't even ask you for a sign, you said, it doesn't matter if you're going to ask, I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign was Emmanuel. God with us. Thank you, Father, for being with us. Never forsaking us. Never abandoning us. But walking with us through the highs and the lows. Would you build, help us build our faith in these moments? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing one last song before we close our time. Really just this, this reminder and declaration for us about Emmanuel. God with us.